The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. Hello, welcome back to They're All Dead, Dave, the Red Dwarf Review Podcast. I'm Phil Hawkins. And I'm Adam Martin. And in case you haven't guessed, they are all dead, Dave. They really are. They're all dead. What, even Peterson? <laughs> even Peterson. Pe- they're all dead, Dave. They're all what about dead. Rimmer? Everyone's dead, Dave. They're all dead. <laughs> We're not going to do that at the beginning of every we could episode, have done that. I promise. Oh, no, we probably shouldn't, no. <laughs> uh, this is the podcast where we're going to work through every single episode of Red Dwarf. Myself being a long-time fan of the show, been watching it since the 90s. Adam has not watched it before until I made him for these episodes. <laughs> yeah. I have never seen this show until now. I have had vague awareness of the show. I knew it was a thing. Uh, but yeah, this is my first watch-along. So we are up to episode two, Future mm. Echoes. And this is the first one that sort of starts dealing with uh, sort of sci-fi concepts that are, you know, well-known sci-fi concepts and dealing with them in a very comedic, red dwarf, very unique way. So in this episode, they go faster than light um, and it results in seeing echoes from the future, as the title suggests. Um, and we see various echoes of the characters and things happening and they gradually work out what's going on and uh, and hilarity ensues. So what was your, Adam, what was your initial thoughts of this episode? What's your general feelings about this episode? I was surprised we were diving into like the hardcore sci-fi, you know, tropes quite early on. I'm all, I'm all for it. I like a good bit of sci-fi tropes and I, I think the whole the whole aspect of it, I guess, sort of got across the concept in a very accessible but funny way. I mean, you know, a lot of the comedy of it is, particularly with Lister, you know, he keeps asking Holly to explain things. And even when Holly does it quite simply, he's like, no, I still don't get it. And, and you know, you could you could account for maybe casual viewers. They might not get it either, because if it's not something they're used to or engaged with, but I think that's a good way of diffusing it. I think it's easier to do that in a comedy than, say, a straight drama, where you have to make sure, you know, the audience is understanding what's going on, otherwise you've arguably failed in what are you trying to teach but no i i enjoyed it i think i mean we'll get into criticisms a bit later but i think i have a few more criticisms of this episode than i did of the last one but um on the whole i like it continues the character work we talked about in the first episode um rimmer gets some awesome like jokes and moments to shine in particular and i like that the cat characters are more developed as well because uh, as we said in the last episode i was a bit confused at first at this sort of prince caricature sort of thing but yeah well he only turned up in the last five minutes of the first episode so we didn't really get any time at all with the cat last time but we he you know is in this and he plays you know a little bit more of a part in the plot as well so we get to see a bit more of him that was nice Mm. yeah yeah i liked it it was it was it was okay I, i think it is not quite as strong as the first episode um uh and it's didn't get any big laugh out loud moments from me uh, this yeah. time around. So I don't think I found it as funny as the first episode. But it was still good and it it, it it wasn't a bad episode. It just wasn't quite as good as the first one. 
Yeah, I mean, the the main, just I guess to jump into it, the main criticism I had was that, particularly with the humour, the, the tone seemed to shift all over the place. Like one, like one minute, you know, uh, Lister's doing like an... Uh, there's one bit in the background he does an impression of Rimmer when he's like giving him a lecture and he's doing like the, you know a very like childish thing like we said in the last episode it's not it's not bad doing that sort of juvenile humor because it, it fits Lister's character he's very much in that you know he'll take the pot shots where he can but you've got things like that and then the the one that stood out to me that sort of charmed me a little bit was when Rimmer's talking about um his father you know he's doing the whole crew cut gag oh yeah and he says oh a short haircut and uh of clean uniform, whatever it is, keeps a man right. That was before that suicide business. And I was like, ah. And I noticed even the laugh track didn't, it was one of those where it was a small mumble. And I was like, that joke can work. But from what the episode was doing, you know, it was very much light. It was light at that point. It just seemed to come in like a curveball. And I wasn't ready for it. And as a result, I was sort of like, ooh, that's a bit. Yeah, know. you know what? I completely missed that joke. I I don't yeah, know how I missed that. I'm I, I think it's the way he said it as well. I know it's probably the character, but he sort of says it very nonchalantly, like oh, before that suicide business. And I was like, maybe it's because you know, nowadays, obviously, I mean, it always has been, but you know, you could argue now suicide is a very serious topic that we all you know have to take into account. And I'm not saying it can't be necessarily used in a comedic way. But I think you have to be very careful in, in how you do it. And again, as I say, from the start, it wasn't not all the jokes were that, you know, sharp, dark humor. And this one just appears and it's like, oh, right. OK, we're doing that now, are we? And then five minutes later, you've got Lister like doing the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what mm. what are we doing? You know, that that was just me anyway. But yeah, no, I can see that a bit, a bit sort of tonally inconsistent with the with the humor. Definitely. Yeah, I know. I'd agree with that. They, they, this was another episode where the plot bit of it, because with the first episode, we were talking about how the the event that wipes out half the crew doesn't happen, or all the crew, sorry, does apart from Lister, doesn't happen until really late on in the episode. This is another episode where the, the sort of sci-fi plot element of it doesn't kick in until about halfway through. Mm. Um, and you get a lot of initial stuff, which I, I, I'm, I'm, it's not a criticism at all. It's just a sort of, it's just what it is. And mm. I think from my memory, we're watching these sort of as, as we re- we're watching them and then reviewing them. So we're not sort of massively ahead or anything. So although I've seen them before, I think this is, I'm, I'm struggling to remember if this is a sort of uh, the way it goes for most of them. But I like the fact that they do that because it, gives you time to spend some more time with the characters without a crisis going on all the time. And yeah. you get to see those interactions. And especially at this early stage of the series, uh, once they're really fully established after a series or something, and there's, you know, we know what Rimra and Dave are like together, uh, then we wouldn't need it. We don't need it as much. But at this point on, I quite liked the fact that we got that and, and getting something from the cats as well and establishing stuff from the cats and talking well, last episode we talked about setup and payoff. They're really good at that because they do that here as well with the cat look, you know, sneaking around the room trying to get the fish, which pays off later uh, when we get a future echo of him having broken his teeth and yeah. Lister realizing that oh, he's gonna try and eat my robot fish. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're really 
they're really well written in that sense that they they do they do set things up and they pay them off the things that you don't necessarily notice or think are significant early on play quite well into the into the ending of the episode or some point in the episode Mm. and and building on that i mean one of the strongest scenes for me was when uh, you first discover about the future echoes, you know, that whole thing, Lister's talking to Rimmer, but they're out of sync and then they sync up. Because, I mean, from an acting standpoint, that scene must have been so tricky to learn, you know, what to say in what what order. Uh, but, I mean, they pull it off flawlessly, you know. I mean, they, they don't miss a beat, you know. Yeah, are you talking about the one in the control room? Or are you yeah, talking like about the first, the, the first, uh, the, f- the mirror. Because the yeah, mirror happened first. The, it did, yes, you're right. Uh, no, I meant the control room scene, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was that was, was like, that was good. They've got that. Yeah, I was gonna because I I was gonna ask you later on, but I'll do it now because I mean that was my favorite scene of the of the episode. Oh, the, the control you? room scene. The control room scene where initially yeah. initially Rimmer is is talking as if he's talking to Dave, but not the Dave that we can see. Uh, Dave in a different direction sometimes, and that the the sentences don't match up as a reply to what Dave has said, and then that Rimmer walks off. And in from the other side walks Rimmer and has the same conversation again, but this time with Dave. Um, And uh, yeah, like you say, it must have been really hard to act because, you know, this is before technology would have allowed them to use the same scene recorded once. That was recorded twice. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And again, Chris Barry is just really good at his timing and getting it... you know, if, maybe if you watch them like literally next to each other, you would notice some slight differences. But mm. watching it after each other, like it appears in the episode, you don't notice any differences between the two portrayals. That, absolutely. I mean, even as in, you know, when, when Chris Barry's technically doing it for the second time, his intonations are almost, you know, spot on as to how they were the first time. Because, I mean, it's funny. Actors often get chided <clears> like, oh, each time you've got to make it different, make it different. And it is, you know, it's a constant challenge because you've got to think on your feet. How am I going to say this differently? But this is the opposite one where he's basically told to say it exactly the same. But as an actor myself, like, you know, you know, when it's drilled in so much, you've got to make it different. That must have been so hard for him. Like his brain saying, say that line differently. Give it a different thought. But he's got to be like, no, I have to say it literally exactly as I said it. And as you say, if you stacked them up side by side, you probably notice one or two slight differences. But I thought for the whole, like the way he, held himself the intonation of the voice and the words was pretty much spot on this was also the first episode we really got um what will become a bit of a trope of talking equipment with its own ai separate from holly the ship we had a vending machine with a lisp in the beginning (laughs) they all have like these quirky personality quirks um and then we got uh, the first appearance of Talky Toaster as well, um, who will appear oh, the again. First appearance. Oh, yes, first appearance. Talkie I'm teasing you back. here. The Talky <laughs> Toaster will return. Um, yes. And I, I just love these. That the, every like mundane item of the ship down to a toaster has its own artificial intelligence and its own personality. It, it's just it leads to so much great humor. Um, and there's a lot of potential in that, I think. Yeah, and I mean, even the, I know they don't talk necessarily, but one of my, contender for my favourite scene was even with the scuttlers near the end, you know, when they say, um, when they say, they give that note to Dave saying, don't leave us on the ship with Rimmer, and he's saying he can't, they just start banging their heads against the wall, I was laughing, I was like, oh my god, but again, that's a great idea of him introducing a personality, and 
it's a great way, I think, of saying, yes, you can have uh, AI uh, machinery that speak, but there's also a lot of comedy in AI machines that don't speak, and it's about doing it right. And I don't know why, but the image of just this little hand grabber thing smashing its head against the wall because it doesn't want to stay with Rimmer, it just, it really made me chuckle. It, yeah, and this, the, they were a great example of how much personality you can give to something that doesn't even speak, and just with, like, what is effectively puppetry or remote control, you know, that that you know so much that you know there are only on the surface there are only four characters in this show but there are so many more because of these elements absolutely yeah for sure um just to dive into the cat a little bit if that's all right um, yeah in the last episode for those who listened i sort of said you know when i first saw him i thought it was more of like a caricature of stars of the day you know like prince or where you know michael jackson in the late 80s but Having thought on it, it reminded me of someone else. Have you ever seen the film Mannequin? Oh, where, um, yes, with, um, I can't remember her name, the Samantha off of Sex and the City, isn't it? Um, she's yeah, a mannequin that comes to life. It's one of my biggest guilty pleasures and one of my favourite films. It's so silly, but I love it. But um, there's a character in that called Hollywood, who is this very, well, he's gay, but obviously, you know, late 80s, they don't explicitly say it. But he's very, flat. he's a black guy, he's very flamboyant, very like, all the hands and very over the top. And he's a great character. The only thing that lets Mannequin down is there's, I can't remember exactly what they say, but there's certain lines where they basically take the mick out of him being gay, which is, you know, it was the right. late 80s. It was a different time. It's it's a shame, but it was there. And it's sort of, the cat sort of reminds me more of that, that sort of, you know, I'm not saying the cat, I don't know if the cat's gay or not, but you know what I mean? That sort of over flamboyance. And I yeah. wonder if, again, because they made this in, I think this series was 1988, if I've got my dates right, certainly the late 80s. I can't help but think, yes, you could say it's that feline aspect, because I got more of that feline aspect than I did in the first episode. Uh, first episode, it felt more, I think I said, like a flamboyant human. This one, I well, sort of got more of like the cat-like <laughs> movements and stuff. But Yeah, and they get, they've got that nice bit, talking of feeling more like a cat. They, get, they, uh, they have the bit where he's looking through dave's pictures pictures on the screen and he comes across a picture of a dog and his yeah. reaction to that is like what's that and there's this like yeah. primal instant like g- like in his genes he knows that he does not like this animal the that he's never encountered before yeah it just makes me think again like i think back to episode one had say he you know come into the ship through the vent and then maybe done like you know a cat sort of crawl across the floor i would have got it straight away and the thing that made me compare it to Hollywood from Mannequin, it's the scene, you know, where uh, Dave's talking about going back into stasis and he brings his rack of <laughs> very colourful suits. And I mean, that was almost, it felt like scene for scene because obviously Hollywood is a fashion designer. So I think there is a scene in Mannequin where he's, you know, got a rack of outfits and stuff. And I felt this is very deja vu. And I can't help but wonder if the way the cat was devised, obviously to be feline, as we said, like you gave a great example with seeing the dog, you know, that sort of cat primal instinct to recoil. I do wonder, and I mean, aficionados have read all the books and behind the scenes might be able to tell me, I wonder if maybe that sort of, if you like gay stereotype of the time might have, you know, that whole very flamboyant and like this and got to be, oh, I'm I'm looking fabulous mm. today. Sort of that, you know, you see it in old films now with gay characters, they're all very much... I'd argue a lot of them are in that same boat of being just very all like this and they have to be over the top and they have to be flamboyant and they have to be, do you know what I mean? I mean, that could yeah. just be me as a looking back on it, but I don't, what did you think at the time? Like when you first, did you draw that or was it not there at all? When I, well, when I first watched it, I, I yeah. don't know. Cause I, 
I was a kid. I don't really yeah. think I thought about it that much. I just no, thought, no, that's fair. You know, it it was an over the top sort of. It's this character. cynical brain of mine, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it is the kind of thing that I probably would think if I was watching it for the first time now, which is why it's great. You know that we've got this different sort of yeah. perspective on it because you're watching it for the first time. I'm watching it and thinking, you know, things don't occur to me because I've seen them so many times or, you know, I'm expecting them, whereas they're a surprise to you. Um, so yeah. that's it's that's why it's I've, great having you here to, to talk a bit, see those no, different perspectives. I mean, disclaimer for the audience, I'm not saying that portrayal is necessarily bad because, again, as from what I've seen so far, it's not stated that this character is is gay. If maybe from the off, you know, they said this character's gay, and it was this portrayal, then maybe a bit be a bit more like, hmm, this is a bit stereotypical of the time. But because it's sort yeah. of left ambiguous at this point, it's not bad. It's just what I'm drawing to from what else I've seen from that era. It just feels very much like we've got a ambiguous character, or so oh, he's got to be big, he's got to be all this and the flashy suits, and but that's just from what else I've seen of, of that era. Yeah, there is, um, I don't know, I can't speak to what the intention was at the time, but certainly there is scenes in the more recent Dave era of Red Dwarf where uh, he's definitely not gay. <laughs> or, <Okay>. at least, <laughs> or at least <laughs> not, not, well, he's, he. I mean, I can't say for certain that he's straight, but he's definitely not, um, not totally, he might be bisexual for all we know, okay. but yeah. he. Uh, there is one scene, and I can't remember which series it's in, but he he is seen in bed with two women. So <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But again, like that is just that is just my brain analyzing it. It's my first time watching it. I'm sure, honestly, if I'd watched it as a kid like yourself, I probably would have never crossed my mind. Yeah, but it's just I think it was that particular scene with the rack of suits because I love Mannequin so much as a film, and I just got major deja vu, and I was like, ah, that's what I'm thinking of, like comparison wise. Um. The other thing that jarred me a bit was, um, and this sounds so silly now, but there's a bit where, yeah, uh, when Rimmer discovers what he looks like with his new hairdo, and he says, "Oh, I look like yeah. a, a compl- I'll say he looks like a complete tit," and uh, obviously, like I've not got a problem with that word, but I, I, I was surprised for the very you know uptight BBC of the late '80s that that such a word could exist. But then I, I, I wrote in my notes, I said, "But what was the stance on language like that back in the day?" You know. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't think "tit" has ever been a massively taboo word, particularly. Um, and this See, is a this is a sitcom aimed at predominantly an adult audience. So well, I was going to say, did it used to air past the watershed? Or I'm pretty sure it did. Well, no, oh, I don't well, know. No, well, maybe not past the watershed, but like past like later evening, later evening, slot. sort of yeah. maybe it wasn't like tea time entertainment. It mm. was evening i i would love to maybe yeah. i should look up when when it i first... think that's different experiences again because like again for me in school like that it was a sort of a taboo word in school like if you sort oh, okay. of said even you know so oh i fell ass over tit you know very common phrase when you fall over like you'd get well in my school you get told off for that you're like you don't say that word so i think maybe that's just the way you know the way i grew up it, it was sort of a taboo thing so i think you know, as you say, like it's it's really not. It's a three-letter word, and we, you know, it's it's funny. It's saying you look stupid. I know it has its other connotations as well. But I think again, I think because of the nature of the show so far, I think it just caught me off guard a little bit. You know, just as a surprise thing, like oh, okay, like we're we're doing that then. Like yeah. I don't know if in the future series they do have like stronger language or anything like that. 
Well, they tend to uh, they they tend to use like substitutes. So you know how sci-fi shows often come up with a word that means you know what it means or you know what it's a substitute yeah. for. Well, it's like smegger, isn't it? Or like well, that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Smeg yeah. is the one that they go to more often. So that's kind of like becomes their swear word. Yeah. But so that they can use it without actually using a you know real one. Mm, absolutely. I'm trying to find a list of episodes and when they aired to like see what time of day. See, they I'm, aired. I'm 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 thinking when I did my uh, ident review of the Red Dwarf idents, I think I used a very brief uh, clip that actually was from like the original show's trailer. That like oh, has okay. the time. So if you give me one second, oh no, there you go. Um, Red Dwarf Monday at nine p.m. on BBC Two. No, so he is after the watershed. Oh, well, that explains it then. I just, Firmly I just wasn't sure because I think you know often you can sort of. I think often it's you know you can tell when a show's aired after the watershed. But honestly, with this one so far, I I was the same as you. I thought, oh yeah, you know, late evening, maybe like seven o'clock, eight o'clock. But no, according to that trailer, it was a 9 p.m. So yeah, okay, that explains the language then. So. Yeah, fair enough. I think it probably t- explains tits are allowed for the adults. Tits are allowed for the adults. It probably <laughs> explains the darker humor we touched upon earlier, um, because, I mean, yeah, I don't know whether you would have got away with the like maybe that suicide joke pre-watershed. I don't know, but yeah. Another thing I really liked about this episode, um, and it, and we touched on this last week as well, is the way that uh, it calls it sort of calls forward and sets up stuff for not only like like the payoff in this episode but it also sets up stuff that and this is again a little bit spoiler but i can't not talk about it mm-hmm. uh stuff that will happen in future episodes and even future series of the show oh, okay so one of the uh one of the forward echoes future echoes is a picture of dave lister with two babies now that will play into a later episode and it's i would love to know if the writers of it planned that at this point or if they just put that in as 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 the gag and just part of this episode and then later on thought you know we could go back to that yeah it's quite a clever setup in a way because i mean all you see of that in the episode is the initial picture and then obviously the end of the episode where we do get a future echo of Dave with the two children and he takes the photo. But like you say, it doesn't definitively say, oh, well, that's that then. It's just, here's the future echo and here's the photo. So, yeah, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, as I say, I don't know either, but it does sound like a clever bit of script writing saying we're addressing it now, but we're also leaving it open if we want to come back to it. So, I mean, you know more than me. I, I part My initial guess on it, I'd think they'll bring it back up this season, but obviously I don't know. It could be next season, season after that. So you know I'd what? be curious I can't to see when, when it appears. <laughs> I can't remember we'll when find happened. out together as we go yeah, back through. I, it's, been, it's been so long since I've watched them that um, uh, that I can't really remember. But yeah, it's 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 nice. Um, it's nice that they are doing that. They do those sort of things, and that's Red Dwarf is a show that is very. Uh, sort of respectful to its own history in the sense that it likes to randomly and out of nowhere reference something that happened years ago on the oh, show <laughs> and i love that it's so so good and obviously we're not going to start seeing that start to pay off until we get a bit further in but 
It is really nice. And actually, I, I say that, but actually already this episode starts paying off start stuff that I'm referencing back to the first episode because there is a line from Rimmer because there's a plot point where in these future echoes, Rimmer sees Dave die. Um, and that, so he's delighting in this and like mocking him and... You know, yeah. just delighting the fact that he's going to die and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And he references a line that Dave said to him in the first episode, which I can't remember. I didn't write it down exactly, but it was something along the lines of, oh, death isn't the hindrance to your career it used to be or something along those lines. Okay. And that was something yeah. that Dave said to Rimmer when he first appeared as a hologram. And Rimmer was in the first episode being really upset about being a hologram. And... Now he says it back to Dave, and I just like the fact that they're ref already referencing back to their previous episodes when they yeah. only have one of them, uh, and <laughs> so, just those little little moments which might go unnoticed, but I think I only notice because I literally watch these two episodes back to back. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah, it's that connecting link. But just drawing on that scenario, you know, he's saying of almost from a sort of taunting. Um, Dave, you know, that he's seen him die. I think that example of like the more black humor works because it's it's built upon. You know, it's not just a one line and done. Like it's this whole gag of he's going like, oh, like you're gonna die, you're gonna die. And it like, you know, when he's doing like the funeral march thing, he's got um he's pretending to like carry the coffin, um, like when they're in the control ship. But I think that that felt more earned because you'd built to it, compared to as I said earlier, with that whole um uh, the suicide line which is literally a one line and done it's not built up to it's not you know it's not preambled with it's just there and i think that's why it feels a bit more like a bit more jarring to me like if i don't know but i mean i think it all depends on the circumstance we know these two already like that they're, they're fine but you know they'll take any chance to fire pot shots at each other you know we know that from watching it so I think that's where that sort of dark humor feels a bit more earned than just throwing in a random line about suicide. You know? Yeah. You know, I don't actually have that much more about this episode. It was kind of it was kind of just a, a an OK episode. I liked the fact that they would had this sort of starting to bring in the sort of sci fi concepts and doing their twist mm. on it. What about you? Is, is there anything else you had that you wanted to say? No, I mean, I think I cover most of my points there, really, sort of similar to you. I mean, props to them for going for the hardcore sci-fi with episode two. And I think, you know, again, for the most part, they handled it really well using the whole comedy element to get it across to maybe, you know, some audience members who may not be as up to par on their sci-fi as, say, like me or you. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the random shifts in, like, tones of jokes and like just just little other things that sort of brought it down a bit for me from episode one yeah definitely who was your one thing i haven't asked we, we talked mm. about favorite moments but what was your favorite character in this episode my favorite character in this one oh it was um old dave oh old dave yes one yeah, of the, the last I, I, future echo yeah i just sort of liked how like sort of done and sarcastic he was and how he obviously plays Rimmer at the end, you know, say, oh, you want to know what happens to you? Then he just laughs and fades away. You know, it's just, I, I like, um, was that, that was Craig Charles, wasn't it? In a lot yeah. of makeup. Yeah. I, I found it hard to tell for the first few seconds. I was like, I'm not sure if this is a different actor or, but then I did think this does look and sound like Craig Charles. But yeah, I liked it. Cause again, he made the most of, you know, a very small character, a character who's only in it for about a minute. 
just to spread a message. It could have been a very one and done performance, but he absolutely sold it. And I, I hope we see old Dave again. I'd like to see old Dave. My favourite mm. character in this episode. Last time I almost picked Holly. This mm. time I am picking Holly. Uh, he was a close second for he, me. He close was, second. Yeah, he was in a lot more of this episode than last episode, which is why I picked him for this one, not not the last one. And I liked his his whole bit about when he was trying to navigate a light speed and how difficult it was, and it was all very stressful and everything. And uh, uh, you know, he's a, he's meant to be an I, a computer with an IQ of six billion or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, and he's uh, he, yeah, he's just he's deadpan nature again in this. So funny, it's. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a, there was two PE references which caught me out. The one where he said, oh yeah, 6,000 IQ, which is about the equivalent of 6,000 PE teachers. That made me chuckle. <laughs> yes. um, no offence against any PE teachers yes. out there. But, if you're yeah. a PE teacher listening, um, we apologise on behalf of the Red Dwarf script editors. Yeah. And um, the other one was, what was it? Oh, do you want me to help you with your homework? Want me to sew your name into your PE kit? So, <laughs> which made me laugh because I think my mum did do that back in the day. She <laughs> sewed my name into my PE kit. Yeah. So, no, Holly had some great sort of like one-liners and quips. I think the only thing he said, and I think he said it in episode one as well, that maybe slightly dates this era of Red Dwarf is when he says Gordon Bennett. Because I'm aware, isn't that a real like late 80s... I think it's well I mean it is a slang term but I think it goes back longer than I think it's like one of those slang terms that was around in like the 1920s and stuff oh right okay and therefore would like depending on like I'm aware of it but then again I you know I'm a little bit older than you and uh, (laughs) uh and I was around in the 90s and no true I mean it was definitely something that was never said like when I was at school I mean I only heard it from uh the character of Ace in Doctor Who who came from 1980s Perivale so I think when she first said it I was like who's Gordon Bennett and then I had to do some research and be like oh it's a phrase right it's not something I've ever said but it's or at least not unironically. Like, yeah, I may have said it in a kind of like, oh yeah, I'm being ironic and saying it. Because to me, it sounds like, in my head, it's a very northern phrase. Okay. Uh, I've I don't know why. It's like that sort of Cockney thing, you know, the Cockney Oh, it could be, yeah, almost. yeah, Cockney yeah. as well. Yeah, no, okay, it yeah. would work with Cockney as well. I yeah. think maybe why I say it's dated then, maybe it's just, again, my association with it is I've only ever heard it in like things to do with the 80s. So maybe yeah. that's why I'm thinking, oh, it's... That shows why Red Dwarf was made in 1988, because he's saying things like Gordon Bennett. But aside from that, I mean, again, you know, if you look past the obvious, like the size of like the computer screens and some of the holo- like the video effect stuff. Aside from that, it holds up pretty well in terms of like the, you know, effects sort of stuff. Or yeah. The look of it. Yeah, mm. I think it does. I think it's, yeah, it does hold up. It's not a, a strong an episode as the first one, but it's still, still, you know. Okay, what would you give it out of... How many scuttlebugs out of five would you give this episode? How many scuttlebugs? Um, I think I would give this one uh, three scuttlebugs out of five. Only because, again, it's like not as strong as episode one, which, granted, that was hard to do. Episode one had a great start-up. And, uh, yeah, for me, it's just the, as we said earlier, the sort of shifts in tone. Um, again, some of the humour just not matching up for me. Um and I think in some moments it sort of showed, you know how I said at first, I thought, oh, if it's only three or four of them on a ship, that is, how can you sustain that for a season? I think there were parts of this episode that made me think that. And if I'm thinking that at episode two, that's not necessarily the best. Time. You want to be thinking that like episode five or six at the very earliest. But 
But it didn't last for long. I mean, to talk about its strengths, as we said, the the leads are great. They further that relationship, that chemistry. The scene in the control room we talked about with Rimmer and Lister, the whole future echo aspect of that, I thought was great. Um, we got some more characterization of the cat. Um, old Dave, favorite character, Holly's one-liners. There, there is good in it, but yeah, I'd give it a three just because it didn't leave as much of an impact as episode one did. I, for me, it was, I I have also given it a three. If this continues, people are just going to think I'm just copying the score every single time. Um, maybe yeah. I'll go first next time. Uh, but yeah, I've also given it a three. And mm. it just didn't make me laugh out loud mm. like, um, like the first episode did in places. Not that there weren't amusing moments. There were same same sort of moments i think you just mentioned like that scene where in the control room where like future rimmer is talking and but past rimmer is there and that, yeah. those kind of scenes are really funny and the, and the stuff with holly is all it's all good stuff and the stuff with the cat it was good to see a bit because we were only introduced to him in the last five minutes of the last episode we actually got a bit more of a sense of him so as an episode that kind of gives us a more of a feeling of the characters it was you know it did its job i think yeah uh but it wasn't you know one that i will go wow that was an amazing episode and it will be in my top 10 yeah it delivered on like the sci-fi it got that the main i mean the title of the episode future echoes it got that concept across well but you know whereas it did well there there were just the other areas that sort of bring it down and then I've got one more question, which is a new, a feature I'm going to try out. Might not be every every episode, but yeah, let's, let's just it. see see how let's it goes. It. What would Dave Lister do? I'm calling ah, this. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, what would Dave Lister do in a situation that we in our world of current events might find ourselves in? So very topical. This is going to date this podcast, of course. But uh, <laughs> what would Dave Lister do? In the current global pandemic that we are uh, in, as like we yes. are recording this episode in the beginning uh, of 2021. The, the pandemic that never ends. Um, what would he do? Honestly, like, I think he'd, you know, he'd get the TV on, Boris being like, oh, yes, we, we've got a national lockdown, you know, you know. And he'd just be like, oh, do you know what? And it, I think he'd try and watch, what's that sport he likes? The zero gravity. Oh, uh, yeah. Say if that existed in the pandemic, I think his first thought would be, eh, I'll just watch that all day. And then when they say sports have had to be cancelled, they'd be like, what? What am I going to do then? And I think he just, I think he spent a lot of time in his bunk, just, you know, smoking cigarettes, um, looking at his posters. And then he'd, I think he'd actually go out by accident and then have to be reminded. It's like, nope, you can't go outside. And yeah, I just think he'd sort of bumble through it. Do you know what I mean? He'd get by somehow, but I don't think he'd do a great deal, necessarily. Yeah. It's interesting because, obviously, he will develop a little bit more as a character, but I think in this feature, we always have to think of him as he is at the moment we're up to. And I think yeah. at this point, certainly, he he's... I mean, he's always going to be a bit of a slob, but he is a slob. And so I don't think he would handle the washing of the hands very well. Uh, oh, no. He... He would, uh, to be honest, I don't think he would even clock that it was happening. I think he'd be quite oblivious to it for a lot of the time until actually you saying about that sports thing has made me yeah. think that would that would be the thing. He'd be like months into the pandemic and not even realise <laughs> there was one. And yeah. then suddenly his sports wouldn't be on and he yeah. would be like, what's going on? And it would take him another full day to find out from somebody that uh, why the sports weren't on. And he'd definitely only get takeaway meals. Yeah. 
I can see it. He wouldn't cook. He'd just be like, I'm not going to the shops. I'm just going to order it all in, deliveroo, whatever. Like, that, I, yeah. I mean, like, you know, that's not, I'm not trying to shade anyone who maybe did order more takeout. We all did. We all ate a lot more during lockdown. I know I certainly did. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's just what he'd do. He'd just be like, oh, what will make me feel better? Oh, I know, like, you know, a takeaway. Or, yeah. like, Vindaloo. having a cigarette whilst watching something on the screen. I just think, like, you know, like a lot of us, not for the worst necessarily, but he'd just, he just slouch on through it. He'd just yeah. do, his, do his best. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's all we've got to say on this episode, Futures, mm-hmm. Future Echoes, episode two. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, don't forget to give us a like or a, a share it around on mm. social medias. Uh, no. Talking of the interweb and stuff, where else on Tinternet can they find you, Adam? What else on the internet? Well, you can find me on YouTube at Adam Martin. That's Martin with the Y. Just type that in. You sh- I should pop up. Same on Twitter. Adam Martin Actor is my handle. You can catch up with what I'm doing there. And I'll be promoting this show and doing the work on my uh, channel as well. And um, I forgot to mention last week, uh, I also run a podcast called AMTV Radio, which is just... Uh, I have a guest on each week and we talk about whatever we want to talk about. That could be about the person's work. It could be about anything and uh philip here my co-host was actually my very first guest so oh, that's I, was a good... about, I was just about to say i was about to segue in with oh yes i've heard of that podcast i've heard the first episode is particularly good <laughs> i think the first episode is still uh my my the most viewed episode oh well you know? excellent. So, what, what can you say you know so <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, if you enjoy me and Philip talking here, well, you're going to love the first episode of AMTV Radio because it's a whole hour of me and Philip talking. But um, now you can check me out there. But otherwise, yeah, just keep coming back to this one because I will be here. Excellent. And you can find me if you're not already listening on my YouTube channel where I'm going to put this up. If you're listening on some other platform, you can find my YouTube channel where I talk about Doctor Who, Star Trek, uh, the MCU, all that kind of geeky stuff that I like to consume. Um over at much it's just my name philip hawkins unfortunately there are other philip hawkinses on youtube <laughs> but I, I don't know what they're playing at uh how dare they but they <laughs> but i'm the one in front of the tardis randalls if you look at the little image it's me stood in front of some tardis randalls oh god and now i can't change my image can i i can't ever change my image because <laughs> if someone's listening to this podcast just... in two years time they then won't be able to find me <laughs> Now, all you need to do is update your um, TARDIS roundels. That's all you got to do. Yeah, different TARDIS roundels. That's different it. TARDIS roundels. From different TARDISes. It was take, it's, <laughs> but it's an actual photo in front of the um, at the Doctor Who exhibition, So, oh, which is no longer there. there. I can't go back and get a new photo. I know. Such a shame. <laughs> I know. Anyway, thanks for watching, uh, watching, listening, whatever you're doing. And we will be back for another for episode three next time. Ciao. See, See you later. later.